I uh, was going to ask quickly, how many of you have ever been a part of a almost, I think, 11 o'clock service on a December 31st, a New Year's Eve day? Anybody here? Raise your hand. There's a few of you, and most of you who have probably have gray hair, right? <laughs> I remember as a kid being a Crystal Free Church, now New Hope Church, and where we'd watch a movie at 10 or 9 or whatever, and then you'd bring in the new year with the church family. Um, we're bringing in the new year here uh, at this time at this 10 o'clock service as we um, give God great thanks for the things he's been doing in our midst. And so I'm so grateful for that. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take these words as we kind of look at uh, the incredible love you have for your son Jesus and Jesus for how faithful and good you, you, you are and Holy Spirit how you witness to that goodness and bring glory to God. We thank you and invite you here through this message and, and through this body in Christ's name. Amen. This uh, last Christmas, I was reading a book, um, and I actually couldn't put it down. And normally, around this time, in, and around Christmas time, we have family. My sister comes in, and we have like sixteen to twenty people in the house, and I mean, in the house overnight for a few days. So they come on Friday. Love to see them come. Leave on Tuesday morning. Glad to see them go. Um, but uh, I was reading a book, and it was called "The Winter Fortress: The Epic Mission to Sabotage Hitler's Atomic Bomb." And normally I enter in onto the puzzle thing, and they were giving me a hard time to do it, but I just wanted to read this book because I wanted to follow through and, and see how this thing ended. And, I, and it's all about the Norwegian underground, and it captivated me. And I, I have to say, I haven't always been really nice to the Norwegian side because my wife is full Norwegian, I'm full German. And I'll do things like, you know, name three uh, Norwegians that are... Um, of personages of notoriety, name three, and then I'll say, okay, fine, that's okay, if you can't name three, um, just name three composers uh, who are German with the letter B. <laughs> and you can then go on from, you know, Beethoven, Brahms, Bach, to Mendelssohn, and to Pachelbel, and you can list all, the, and I said, that's just composers, and so I, I kind of play this game, so you who are Norwegians right now are not really happy with me, because my wife isn't real happy with me when I do that. But here I am reading a book, and, you know, in, 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 in a very real way, I'm reading the story of these incredibly brave Norwegian resistance fighters who, I, I want to tell you, they underwent such extreme measures to free their country, and catch this, and to save the world from some real crazy Germans. And it kind of was in my face when I was kind of kidding her. But one point captivated me as I read this book. What captivated me is there, there were some of these these Norwegians. I mean, I just honestly, they were in the cold. And the stuff they did was amazing. But they would get caught from time to time by the Nazis, the SS. And they would undergo this incredible torture. And one guy who just determined that he was the way he was going to win was by not saying anything. And, and not giving in to them. Because their whole desire was to remove them. They would put them in isolation. They'd want them to lose their sense of identity. They wanted them to feel as if no one cared about them. No one loved them. No one had any concern for them at all. In fact, people were turning against them and they used all these means and these purposes besides incredible pain and torture in order to break them, to cause them to give up, to give in, 
to turn against the mission that they were on to save their people. And I was reading this, and I think one of the reasons I was so intrigued is because it, I just, I can't help but do this, but when I read things, I just think about God and Jesus and how that relates. And I was preparing this message and for the series on Thrive, and I couldn't help but thinking of this morning's text. And prior to the temptation where Jesus is in, in the wilderness with Satan, where he's being tested and tried and tempted to give up his mission, to turn aside, to not save you and me. And I was thinking about that and, and uh, spending 40 days, 40 nights in the hands of his arch enemy. And this interesting thing occurred, though, before he ever went into that time of temptation, that time of preparation. And you can read about it in chapter 3 of Matthew. And you may wonder why this baptism, this, this, this baptism occurs before the temptation and test. So one of the things I want us to do this year is to think about thriving. And thriving occurs because there are spiritual practices that, that embed things into our hearts, into our lives, that, that cause us to, to change internally. This is one of the things we're going to talk about, I, I hope, throughout this year, is change me first. Don't change the person next to me, my spouse, partner. Don't change necessarily my kids. I mean, although we'd like that to change my workplace or change my environment, God changed me. And often as he changes us, our perspective, our, our approach, our life has impact on those around us. And not that there aren't things that need to change around us. I'm not saying that, but it's changed me first. So as we're thinking about this whole idea of thrive, thrive, we want to thrive, not just survive, but we actually want to thrive the way that Jesus did so that we could be upon his mission and that we could begin to release the works of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in this community. And I'm thinking through this, and here's the scene. John the Baptist has been baptizing people at the Jordan River. And as he's bringing, if people are coming to him, he's preparing them for this. He's preparing them for the one, the anointed one who would come, and the ministry and mission that he would bring with him. And he's calling people to repent, to recognize that they need to start walking in the ways of God, to reverence him and understand him and to open their hearts to him. And he's, 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 he's at one point, he's saying, this guy who's going to come, this, this Messiah is so incredible that compared to this coming one, I'm just a stagehand. I'm a setup guy. This guy's going to come and he will ignite the kingdom life of God within your hearts. He'll set a fire within you, and the Holy Spirit will be given to you, and he will change you from the inside out, which we say, change me first, Holy Spirit, as I follow Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, I'm just going to kind of walk through this, and at some point I'm going to share with you why this is so important before Jesus goes into this testing and temptation. It says in chapter 3, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You see, you have to understand, John's objecting. The reason he's objecting is because he recognizes that Jesus is far superior to him. He can't even hold a candle to him. In fact, he says, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals, which is the, the, the responsibility of a menial slave. I'm not even worthy 
of being like a slave to you. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented, which is an interesting thing. He said, okay, I get it, to fulfill all righteousness. And and I hope in some ways you kind of go, what in the world does that mean, to fulfill all righteousness? It, it means simply that Jesus had to come, and when he came, he needed to identify with mankind. So we just celebrated that at Christmas. He enters into history. He, he leaves heaven and comes to earth. This incredible identification as a baby, born like us. But there's a greater even identification than just being born like us, which needed to occur as he began his ministry. He needed to identify even with the sinful condition of man. Not that he sinned ever, but he needed to identify himself because he was going to save this people, you and me. Think about it. The best way I could really illustrate this is Daniel. Someday, read in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is a kind of a prefiguring of Jesus. You read about him. He is the most holy guy in this incredibly evil empire of Babylon. He comes to this place, and they can't trip him up for doing anything bad. They have to finally spring his, quote, religion on him, his spirituality, his faith before God. They caught him praying and not praying to this king who they had said, if you know, have all people pray to you. So they set it up, and here he is, Daniel. You read in Daniel 9 this very interesting thing, this very holy guy. He starts out and he, go, he says, we have sinned, God. I have, you know, you think about it. We means I have sinned. Well, you're kind of going, well, wait a second. He is identifying with a whole group of people who were before him, who were in the land before they ever went to Babylon, and he's basically saying, I'm one of them. And before God releases them, before he brings them back, he calls out this sense of identification. So to fulfill all righteousness for Jesus meant that not only was he born to become a man, but he also came and he stood and he identified fully. And not just identified fully with the sinful condition of man. He also identified with the very righteous requirements of God. Which means that he would obey completely, fully, never sin. Do something none of us could ever do. And so he turns to John. He says, John, guess what? You got to baptize me. This is the very reason I came. Was one, to identify with the sinful condition of man. And secondly, to fulfill all the righteous requirements that you and I can't fulfill. So you should say, praise God. And here is Jesus. Prior to facing Satan, identifying with us. Listen to what Matthew writes. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, catch this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, as soon as he took this obedient step of faith, as soon as he said, God, I'm going to carry out your mission, I'm going to walk into the mission that you have given me. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So just that alone, you know, some people say, well, how was he baptized? He was immersed. He went into the water and he went up out of the water. And as he was coming out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now all kind of things are happening there. First Jesus sees the heavens open. And you go, what did he see? see 
what we have to understand is when the word heaven, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is used, it means the realm of the spirit. In the realm of the spirit. See, we look at this world, all we see is physical, but there's a curtain, a, a, a thin curtain. Babies, young little ones sometimes see through it. Sometimes people who have eyes, who are called seers, can see through it. But here is Jesus seeing through this curtain, and this curtain opens, this heavens opens, and he sees coming from heaven. The Holy Spirit who, who comes in the form of a dove. Now, what I find really interesting is that there was a lot of people going, wow, isn't that cool? A dove landed on his shoulder. He must be special. Jesus didn't just see a dove. Saw the Holy Spirit. There were people because they wanted God so much and they wanted to see the kingdom of God come into this place and into this land who began to see the things as they really were in the spirit and what they saw was not just some dove, but they saw the Holy Spirit. I pray for those eyes for us. And so he sees the spirit and the spirit lands on Jesus as a dove. But not just that. Listen to this. And at the very same time, this, this voice proclaims from the realm of the spirit. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, some thought probably it was just thunder. The rumbling of an upset sky stomach, right? And the reason I say that, if you look at John chapter 12... At another point in Jesus' ministry, verses 28 and 29, at one point in John chapter 12, Jesus says, Father, verse 28, glorify your name. And listen to what John writes. And then a voice came from heaven. Okay? The realm of heaven splits open, a voice speaks. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now listen to verse 29. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. You know what Jesus said? Verse 30. This voice was for your benefit, not mine. So some saw a dove and said, wow, that's really unique. He's probably a real special guy. And then some saw, because their heart's so long for the spirit and for the kingdom to show up. They saw the spirit in that dove. And then some heard thunder and some thought maybe an angel spoke. Wow, this guy must be so special. And some heard the voice of God. But Jesus heard the voice of God. But in this case, when we read here, this voice was for your benefit, not mine, says Jesus. I believe this voice was for the benefit, not just of us. We were secondary to the reason this voice spoke. This voice was spoken for Jesus himself. And the reason I say that is because Matthew is writing um, and he's using, Mark was kind of like one of the first gospels written. And usually that's kind of, a, it was kind of used as an underlay. And Mark was written with the help of Peter. So Peter, um, in, in, in many ways, his buddies were all there. They were there when it happened. And here's what Mark writes. He doesn't say, as it says in Matthew, this is my son, which is an identification because he, here's Matthew. Matthew, catch, this is kind of ironic. Matthew's a tax collector. He's a renegade. He's a traitor. And he's now writing a book to the Jews trying to get them not to be renegade traitors. So he says, this is my son. I want you to know this is the one, but not Mark. Because the benefit of this voice was for Jesus before he went into this trial and to this testing. Listen to the words of Mark. A voice came from heaven. Mark chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Jesus, you have just identified with the sinful condition of man. And just... 
as you will take that sin on and you will you will give your life and death on a cross you need to know this as you walk through this mission i've given you when satan seeks to isolate when you when satan seeks to cause you to think that it's not worth it. When Satan does all these things and he tries to get you off mission, I want you to remember, I want this imprinted into your heart. You're my son. I love you. And I am so pleased with you. Now, Mark is interesting because the three gospel writers all talk about this baptism. In fact, all four do, but three of them actually give the story. And, and Mark, immediately after these words, this is my son chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. Mark writes, and at once the Spirit sent, and the word in the Greek means drove, Jesus into the wilderness. And so he had to go through this time of testing. And what we're going to look at as we look at this is that Jesus went into this time of testing and he did things. He used spiritual disciplines, practices in his life that, that were able to cause his spirit to thrive in the midst of a place you would think you wouldn't thrive. And we're going to look at these practices because I really believe, church, we are in a place where we are being prepared and purified. And God has been doing that and it's going to continue to do it because he wants to use us like he used Jesus. I, I, I know that in my heart of hearts. And so as we enter into this year, that's what's kind of going on. And I, and I said I needed to share today, and I know I'm going to go over. So you just, you know what, you don't have anything else to do right now. So, so settle down. If, you're, you know, if you want to get a good seat at the, the Viking game, go ahead. Um, I'm going to share with you. Because here's why this baptism is so important. Jesus, being both God and man, needed to hear this truth. Jesus, you are my child, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my heart. In Jesus, through your faith, I give you grace, and I will pour out my love upon you that I had from the beginning of time. Live every day knowing this so that you will thrive in this world. And I'm going to, by the Spirit, drive you out because, Jesus, you've been an innocent little child. You are moving into the ministry where you've taken on the condition of the sins of man, and you're going to be tested and tried because I want this innocence to move to virtue. And one of the reasons God tries his people is because he wants to know, is there faith to do what he's called you to do? And you are, some of you are going through that trial because God is preparing you for something that he can only do because he needs the faith to be formed to that level. God has brought us through as a church a really difficult time because he needed the faith to be formed to do what he's going to release through us. And so he says to each one of you who, who have eyes to see the Spirit, who, who hear not thunder, but hear the Word of God and begin to start hearing the God who speaks to your heart. He wants you in these practices to begin to know as you go there that, that one, as you go into these practices, so we're going to be talking about sustenance, the idea of fasting, and we'll be talking about silence, and we'll talk about what it means to slow your life down, and we're going to give you opportunities from, from Monday through Wednesday to, to practice these things. All for the purpose that you will know your true identity, that you are loved by God, that you will hear in your heart these words, you are my child, 
And I'd ask, just close your eyes for a second. And just close your eyes and just imagine. This is what Jesus is saying to you. Let it in. You are my child, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my heart. Through your faith in Jesus, I give you grace and I pour out my love upon you that I have had from the beginning of time when I conceived you, not in a womb, but in my mind. Live every day knowing that this, through this faith, through this love of mine, you can thrive in this world. And so before you go to sleep, open your eyes again. In this series... We will look at those very spiritual practices that allow Jesus to thrive. Jesus fasted for a reason. He was learning that his survival wasn't based on mere bread, but on God's very word in his heart. Because at one point he looked at his disciples and they're saying, Where did you get food? He was with this lady at a well. Where did you guys, where did you eat? Who brought you lunch? And Jesus, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. God wants to feed you in your spirit. Jesus went away silent. He was silent in solitude. He spent time with his father. Satan came to test him. We're going to learn what it means to be silent because in the silence of this chaotic world with all the things, always listening, always got stuff going on, God can't often penetrate the voices because we don't give him an opportunity to get to know and recognize his voice. He slowed his life down. Isn't it amazing? Jesus went away. He didn't write a book. He didn't heal people. He wasn't mentoring people. He just went away and just was by himself and said, I'm going to be here in your presence, Father. And he went into the wilderness. He didn't do any good deeds. He he did all this so that when he could come back, he could do these good deeds, and he didn't have to bring attention to himself. And we're going to learn what it means to do good, to do it in secret so that we're rewarded by our Father in heaven. When we learn what it means to share, because when Jesus came back from the wilderness, this is really cool. He comes back to the wilderness in the, and this is what Luke says. He returned to Galilee after this testing in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Okay. We're called to thrive. I wanted to share with you, and I was going to share this earlier, but I'll just share this right now. I've been wearing this tie. This is my last day. Someone asked me, so what did you learn about this? I learned, I said, you know, I got a lot of ties. That's one thing I learned. And some of them aren't too bad. And I also learned I don't like to wear them. But here's the big lesson I learned. Here's one thing spiritual practices can do for you. They can put you in touch with what other people are experiencing. What I really learned was when I had to go out every day and I had this thing tied around my neck, it always brought my awareness to people who are suffering in conditions of poverty. I think when Jesus fasted, I think he recognized there are all kinds of people who will go hungry. He also recognized that my real food isn't bread. It is, the, it is the word of God. One of the things about this tie thing, this just ember, do you know what I'm really excited about our team? I don't know exactly fully how much. I know at one point they raised about $9,000. And uh, we're hoping to get about six or so because that would free one person. I think we're going to be able to free one and a half or maybe more. But out of a thousand teams, guess what? Our team was number 12 in what has been raised. Praise God. Yeah, thank you for what God has done. Okay, so I'm going to ask the team to come, and we're going to kind of end this time in, in worship together. And we're going to sing a song called Thrive. 
But when, when we go through these spiritual practices, here's what I want you to recognize. They help you thrive by knowing your identity in Christ. They do a whole lot of other things, and I'm going to encourage you to be a part of this. And when you consider resolutions this year, here's one I want us to consider as a church as a whole. Through the whole year, God changed me first. Okay, for, let's, let's try and take our mind off the person you want to change for a moment, okay? Say, God changed me first. Change us first, God. Use us in mighty ways and cause us to thrive. I'm going to have you guys lead this, and then i got one last word before we leave.